dimensional, transforming, musical, linguistic objects. Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. So, how are all of you today? I'm sorry it's been so long since my last podcast, but getting ready for Burning Man, coupled with the very noisy place I'm temporarily living in, has kept me away from Cyberdelic Space for a bit. But hey, we're all back here in the Psychedelic Salon once again, and I'm ready to roll. No pun intended, by the way. Really, I use a vaporizer, so there's no need to roll anymore. And by the way, if you're a frequent user of cannabis yourself, you really ought to check into getting a vaporizer. Uh, in my opinion, uh, I think that cannabis vapor is probably healthier than the air in most big cities. I'd better not get started on that and instead introduce today's talk. Some of you uh, may have heard this lecture when Raphael gave it at the 2004 Palenque Norte Lectures at Burning Man. He titled it, How to Choose Your Medicines Wisely from the Alphabet Soup. And I think a good subtitle for this talk would be, Reproducible Experiences That Are Possible on Different Entheogens. So, if you uh, have any interest at all in MDMA, psilocybin, LSD, DMT, 5-MeO-DMT, 2-CI, 2-CB, 2-CT7, 2-CT2, or mescaline, then I think you're uh, going to be interested in hearing this presentation by Raphael Eisner at the 2004 Palenque Norte Lectures at Burning Man. For this, I would like, um, I would invite participation from the audience. Um, what, I'm, what I'm aiming for specifically is reproducible experiences that you have on different entheogens. Things that, things of, uh, that you do when you want to resolve an issue or when you, when you want to achieve a certain state that you do in order to get to that state. Um, because I think it's very important that, that there needs to be a, a list somewhere, a compendium, a matrix of, oh, this can be used for this or this can be used for that. And um, I'm just going to go down the road, no, no particular order. Well, I have a certain order from the most common ones to the least used ones, the more exotic ones. But I want to start off very importantly by saying that this is not an endorsement for you guys to go out and start taking all these medicines without really thinking about what you're doing because they're quite, um, they can be very, some of them can be very dangerous. Okay. So I'm going to start with MDMA. MDMA has been called penicillin for the soul by more than one person. I believe, I believe this to be a truth. It is an extremely power, powerful medicine that can be used recreationally. It can be used for some of the most powerful therapy around. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of therapists just in this country who use MDMA for extreme cases of patients. They do it illegally. They do it underground because it's a crime to do this. Um, and that's really too bad. And the folks here at MAPS um, are working um, diligently to try to legalize the use of MDMA for therapeutic purposes. Um, it's been used for couples therapy. It can be used for post-traumatic stress disorders, basically, um, just, to, um, just to illustrate. Um, the mind has a way of closing off and repressing bad things. 
uh, they just stay on the other side of the critical filter, what I was talking about before. You have these negative associations, which are down here. And I believe that, well, I believe the intention is a really good one. We want to be completely healthy. I have this, this thought experiment that, of course, could never be done, but I propose the following. If you were to take two identical twins and you were to take one of them and give them the most loving, nurturing, positive environment for the first, whatever, 12, 15, 18 years of their life, you were to take the other one, like I said, this is just a, a thought experiment, right? You were to take the other one and you were to severely abuse the child and then stop and then treat them treat that child with the most tremendous amount of love and respect. I believe that those children in a safe setting, that they would be both equally functional and capable of coping. I believe that we would heal over the pain, the injustice, the trauma, the lack of trust, and that you'd be fine. The problem is that we don't live in a society that's safe. And because we don't live in a society that's safe, the, the child that is wounded, well, there's a lot of things that resonate within the, the inner psyche, emotional, spiritual, uh, physical um, psyche of that individual where when the energy around is not pure, clean, and safe, it brings things up. And this results in reactionary behavior and outbursts and patterns of behavior trying to break out of this painful cycle because even though it's deeply hidden in the subconscious it's repressed there are so many people that are completely unaware of the fact that they've been abused because the mind just covers it up and I think it's because really we're meant to be in this paradise place where everything is safe and nice and yeah if you hurt yourself you'll heal you'll be okay but a scar is left just like you are scarred physically and when you're a child See, there's no separation between your spiritual selves, your physical selves, your emotional selves, and your intellectual selves. It's just a big, open, plastic um, field that just gets imprinted. And it's as we grow and our nervous system develops that we actually gain a sense of self and that we actually um, gain a sense of awareness. And that happens just with time and with experience. So MDMA helps create a space that is safe, that is comfortable, a, a space where you can allow love and compassion to just build and grow. And in those spaces, it's very easy to explore trauma. And this is why it's such a powerful medicine. I believe this is why it's such a powerful medicine for trauma. Because especially guided, guided by someone who knows how to use it. It's not to say that you can't guide yourself, but there's definitely a lot to be said about being in a space where there's somebody who you can trust, who is going to anchor you, and going to read you very, very carefully, and feel what you're feeling, and listen to what you really want to say, and then pose some few careful questions. These shamans, these people that do this type of work, they take the medicine as well. They set clear intentions. Their intentions are to be present. They put aside themselves completely and their issues completely to be 100% open to the person that is going through this session. And for six, eight, ten hours, the amount of time that it takes, their focus is reading, connecting, vibing with the person, 
as, as smoothly as possible so that the person can feel safe and motivated and inspired to let go of what, well, what they're holding on to. See, I said it before, I, I don't think I'll ever get tired of saying it. The medicines are truth serums. They want to tell you something. When you take MDMA and you feel happy, well, the truth is that you are really a beautiful person and you are recognizing that you're such a divine being. But as you keep taking it, especially if you're taking it recreationally, at some point, it doesn't feel as good as it used to feel before. And sometimes it's the second time, sometimes it's the tenth time, sometimes it's the fiftieth time. But at some point it doesn't feel quite as good. And the tendency is that people then take more. And that usually compensates for a while. Once, twice, three times, five times, ten times. And then suddenly that doesn't work either. And how many people do you know, maybe it's happened to yourself, that you, you can't really enjoy a good MDMA unless you also smoke some marijuana. And that that allows you to release and let go to go into that space. Well, I believe MDMA to be a very, very subtle truth serum. Subtle but powerful. It doesn't flat out say, here's your problem, deal with it. Acid does that. Yeah? Deal with it. Razor sharp. This is soft and gentle. And it just suggests you get an image, you get a feeling. I've had so many conversations where someone has said to me, you know, I don't like taking MDMA anymore. Every time I do, I get these pictures of really bad things happening, and I just can't handle that. Maybe it's something that needs to come out. Maybe at that moment, it's time to evaluate, assess, ask for help, and say, hey, you know, I have these experiences. What does that mean? See, I believe that these truth serums are also designed. I'm going to say designed just because it's the, the only word I can think of it. But they're, they're made to make us feel good. But if something is not right, if something hurts anywhere, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, it's the message, it's that language that I was talking about earlier that we're not listening to. And you have to learn how to ask yourself, typically, someone will take MDMA and feel nauseated. Well, ask your stomach. Why is it nauseated? What are you trying to release? The stomach is a place that holds a lot of negative energy. Medicines are, can be used, and most of the most powerful medicines require purging. You need to purge. You don't have to necessarily physically purge, but sometimes you have to just emotionally or psychologically or spiritually purge because there's some negative energy inside us that needs to go. All the medicines are good for this. Anytime you take a medicine, I will just say this flat out, anytime you take a medicine and you're having a difficult experience, of course, you know, if it's after three or four other things that you've taken and you've been out dancing all night and you're dehydrated and you're exposed, well, whatever. But if you choose the proper set and setting and you are properly nourished and it's daytime and you're in a safe place and you're with people that you're safe with, if you take a medicine and it doesn't feel good, that's the time to ask that part of you that doesn't feel good, what's up? Why does it hurt? Why are my jaws clenched? And what you may find, if you give a little focus, is that usually the pains are aligned with your chakras and that you can find a direct correlation. MDMA is absolutely amazing for this because it will gently allow things to come up. I think it's important to just release to them. And an experience that I think is very important that I'm not necessarily suggesting but I'm just describing is to pick a day just to yourself of course, this is if you do the medicine. If you're not familiar with the medicine, um, give it a little extra thought. But if you're familiar with this medicine, take a day, 
that's your day, and set some intentions which you want to figure out. What are you unhappy about? What's not working? Or maybe how do you want to empower yourself? Because they're so amazing for that. On my nightstand, I'll put a little pill and a glass of water and I'll set my intentions and I'll go to sleep. In the morning, I'll wake up and I'll take it. And I'll crawl back in bed, which is the safest, most beautiful place that I can be in. My warm bed. And just let it flow. I like to focus. I like to imagine that I'm on a, on a big, lazy river. It's a warm day, I'm on an inner tube, and I'm just floating along the riverbanks, and there's these curves. And as I go around the curves, the things that, I've, that I see, that I experience, that I remember, that I visualize, don't stop. Just keep going, just make note of them. And inevitably, it'll take me to what I need to figure out. Because you just flow, you just listen. Psilocybin. Magic mushrooms. The first time I took some magic mushrooms, it was quite the ordeal. I wasn't told how much it was okay to take, and I took twice as much as I should have. And I had a battle with a demon. Up all night. It was just the most ferocious demon. It was all about contradiction. Full of energies, go outside, oh, I'm so tired. Lay down, full of energy, go outside, oh, so tired. It just started like that. And it was all about contradiction, contradiction, contradiction. This went on all night long. I was out, I was just done with it. And until, well, I finally, you know... What I got out of it is of no importance to hear, but I, I, I spoke to a friend about it, someone who is very knowledgeable with mushrooms, and he said, no, you're doing it all wrong. You don't understand. You take the mushroom, it accesses one of your guides. It empowers one of your guides. And the proper way to do mushrooms is to set your intention, but really your intention is about listening and just shutting up and just doing whatever your guide says. And... Asking for compassion. Because you don't need to get beat up for it. Sure enough, powerful piece of information was given to me that day because if you listen to what your guides say, you're going to get told something really important. And you're allowed to ask questions. As a matter of fact, I encourage yourself to ask questions. You should always be asking questions about everything. Why? You know? And... Psilocybin can be used for, for symbols. It can be used symbolically. For example, um, I was in a relationship, nasty, codependent relationship that was very beautiful at one point and it got very difficult later and I was just still so attached and it was so difficult and I was suddenly inspired. I, I was called to just take some mushrooms and to figure it out. And that just felt like the wisest thing to do. So I did. And the mushroom said to me, okay, you want to break out? Here's how you do it. And I was guided specifically to do certain tasks. Find this picture. Tear it up. Throw it away. Go do it. Now. Come on, let's go. Let's go, go, go. Okay. Find this candle. One candle. This particular candle that was burning in the bedroom, that kind of thing. Throw it away. This other object, return it. This thing, burn it. You see, we have associations with symbols. This is, a, this is part of the essence of shamanism that doesn't really make it so much into our culture, but that is so powerful in other cultures, more primitive cultures. The shaman shows up with things that are um, very symbolically, have powerful symbols spiritually, metaphysically. And things like rattles and feathers and candles always work, you know, and incense and stuff like that. But there are places in the world where they'll take a guinea pig and they'll rub it over your body and then they'll kill it and release the spirit and you're done. 
You know, I mean, it's it's very intense. Now, if you did that to me, I'd be like, it doesn't work for me. So, what are your power symbols? What are the things that constantly remind you of positive or negative associations? Mushroom is a powerful way to to tap into that. Think about what is in your house, what is in your personal living space that you still have a negative association to. I bet you right now you can think about something that you need to just throw away or just return. And to do this and to do a cleansing this way, the mushrooms are fantastic. They're incredible. Very, very powerful for that. Um, Deep inner wisdom, deep inside of yourself, especially the symbolic associations. Anybody want to add anything about psilocybin? Anything that they really like doing? I mean, apart from just going out and partying and having fun, you know? There's been times when I've been feeling really nauseous. And um, I just found when I sat and just talked to it like it was a guide or and just said, be gentle with me and teach me what you have to, you know, I'm here to learn the wisdom that you have to share. I found the nausea just went away immediately. And I just wonder if you have had that or if that's, if that's typical for mushrooms or... And it, it's typical it's for, for most medicines, for many medicines. There's going to be some sort of physical malaise when there's a message that's coming across. And if you don't know what that language is, you have to stop and say, okay, I don't understand. I, I got the message. Something is wrong. What is it? And uh, mushrooms do that quite a bit. But if you go in with the proper intention, I've actually been in a space where I was releasing energy and... I'm trying to remember who it was that said it to me. Um, one of one of the people, it was in Palenque at one of those seminars, um, one of one of these grandfathers of, of, of the medicines that said, there's this negative association with throwing up that we have. Well, you see, the vomiting, throwing up is the body's way of releasing toxins. It's a good thing. If you actually think about it, you usually feel a lot better afterwards. So you have to purge, you have to release. However... If you're releasing something physical because you ate something that was bad, get it out of your stomach as fast as possible. What if you're releasing something metaphysical? Why do you have to physically throw up? Why not just symbolically do it? And you can actually say, okay, I got it. I got the message. Can this sensation stop being a physical one? Can I now just release emotionally? Or can I, can I, what do I need to do to release this? And you can complete. It's your existence. It's your trip. You do what you want with it. My feeling was that, was that when your body is resisting like information, yes, and um, yeah, I could really feel that. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You're just resisting something that needs to come out, just a truth that needs to come out. Hi. Hi. My experience with um, shrooms is that unlike other substances, I found myself very psychic. That 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 one one medicine that really opened the third eye. And then I had a coach who said, well, it's a third eye substance. And I wonder if you could speak to if different medicines have different resonances with the chakras. Um, I, I believe that, well, there's there's many different classes of molecules, but there, of the ones that we generally use, there's two types. There's the tryptamines and there's the phenethylamines. Um, the tryptamines are things like LSD, DMT, psilocybin. They're all very, very similar molecules. They, they definitely um, stimulate specific parts of our nervous system in a certain way. And the, um, the, the phenethylamines are generally derivatives of mescaline. And MDMA is a phenethylamine. 2CB is a phenethylamine. 2CI, 2CT7. These are all really amazing and powerful medicines. 
that tend to have a, it separates them into into two into two classes. Um, I find that phenethylamines to be to be more empathic, um, more about emotions. Uh, they deal more with the serotonin system. The tryptamines are related to dopamine. Right, serotonin is is closely related to phenethylamines. Uh, no, serotonin is. I'm sorry, it's a tryptamine. Sorry. Um, but dopamine, um, tryptamines tend to affect dopamine as well. So it's different different parts of that. And I don't know enough to, to like do like proper alignments, chakra alignments with different medicines. But these medicines definitely open up doors, and they open up doors of perception. And as I said before, the the shamans take the medicine. So they can be in that space. The, the the therapists take the medicine so that they can be in that space with you. And it's a very psychic space because it's about reaching in and looking deep inside of someone and and just sitting and being present and saying, It's all good. And and that's for the most sublime transformative experiences as well as the ones that are just about finding your divine nature and and finding the power within and the light within, as well as finding the demons, seeing what they are, and recognizing that the demons generally tend to be divine beings that are just unhappy and that they just need to say what they have to say. And once they come out and say it, it's okay. MDMA is good for that. Psilocybin is good for that. LSD is good for that. Anything that gets you deep inside. Yeah. Uh, it's all about asking, right? I mean, this is your experience. Ask for what you want. Maybe you need to go through something to get to there. Maybe you need to release something. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's not necessary. It's one of the things that I didn't say, because I didn't want to get deep into the model of hypnosis, is that the other way that you actually cross and process things is through dreams. And that's why uh, dream therapy is, can be so powerful, because you can use dreams to vent things out. So anything that will put you into that state. Now, um, it's all being in a, it's all a hypnagogic state. It just depends what intention you're going in on. As a matter of fact, I would recommend that if you are interested, as you are interested in working on yourself, that you go learn how to hypnotize yourself. Take a class. You can actually take, get free classes in L.A. at um, an institute called HMI. Um, it's in the most amazing tool. The first time that I was hypnotized, because you have to be hypnotized to learn how to do it, right? I went into myself and I was like, oh, wait a minute, I've been in this space before. Except I came from a different angle. I came through another doorway. This is amazing. And to be able to reconcile that with everything else, um, it's, it's a powerful thing. So uh, one of the things that I'm interested in doing is uh, working in combinations with psychedelics and hypnosis. I think it would be a really interesting thing to do. I haven't gotten there yet, though. Okay. LSD. LSD is uh, well, it's, it's, it's an extremely powerful substance. It's probably the most powerful substance around. Um, the, the smallest concentration is enough to really take you to an altered space. And I would say it's... I'm going to venture to say that LSD is the, if LSD is the, the father of a lot of... A lot of these medicines, I would say that DMT, especially in an ayahuasca form, is probably the grandfather, the grandmother. But um, LSD is an extremely powerful psychedelic. It's the minute, minute quantities. I mean, as little as 25 micrograms is, is enough to, to really get you going. And there are so many different types of experiences that can happen on LSD that it's very difficult to come up with a consistent series of things that happen. 
But here is what I have come up with in my experience, my personal experience, and in uh, being in the presence of other people who are on it and um, myself being on it and not. LSD gets to the point. It doesn't mess around. If the point is to have an amazing experience getting lost looking at a flower, that's where you're going to be. If you don't have an intention, it's really... I don't want to say Russian roulette because it's not lethal or deadly, but it's definitely more like spin the bottle. You have no idea where you're going to end up. You know, I mean, if you want to have a warm, fuzzy feeling, uh, take MDMA. If you if you want to giggle or everything wants to look kind of goofy, you can do the psilocybin thing. But LSD um, is is a very, very, very powerful medicine that I don't think needs to be taken lightly. What it does for me specifically, is that it simply just breaks down the schemas. It takes the patterns of association that I have and just cuts them all apart so that I can reassociate them again. Example, you look at something for the first time on LSD and you're like, what the hell is that? I just don't know what it is. Just look at it and look at it and look at it. And what you see is the color, the texture, uh, the fragrance, but you don't really know what it is until eventually you go, oh, it's just a pen. Well, okay. (laughs) Tripper, right? (laughs) But that's the most beautiful thing because imagine being able to take everything in your life and reevaluate it all over again from the beginning. Imagine being able to do this to every concept about what you are, every aspect of your being, of your psyche, of your emotions, of your spirit, and just approach something that you've never approached before and say, what is that? I like to, um, I like to think of LSD as the tool for metaphysical calculus. Calculus is about solving problems. Calculus is, if anyone has taken really intensive classes in calculus, it changes the way you think. Um, Calculus is about approaching a problem from any angle as long as it works. It it integrates all of problem solving, that and differential equations. And if you take LSD with that intention of figuring out what the problems are, and rather than being afraid that you don't recognize what this is, go, okay, what do I see? I see this texture, I see this flavor, I see this, I see this, I see this, I see this, I see this. And you completely get to reevaluate how you want to define everything in your life. Take all the connections to everything, cut them all, and rebuild this dome in a different shape if that's what you want. You can completely deconstruct yourself. And I think that's why people run into problems, because they go in too deep. Starts, things start naturally getting cut, and they start to resist, and they're afraid of that afraid of the fact that you're going to lose your grasp of reality because reality is, what is reality? It's this, I don't know, this thing you have to hold on to, right? Isn't that what people say? As opposed to just being in the moment. And yeah, if you're exposed and dehydrated and tired in an unsafe place, that's understandable that it'd be a scary experience. You probably shouldn't be there in the first place, sober or high. But when you intentionally go to figure something out, you can use the power of your mind to figure, you can figure anything out. You just deconstruct it. I like to think of my, my consciousness 
as a Rubik's Cube. You start off with, you know, you try to build a Rubik's Cube. So there's a certain order, right? You, you completely scramble it and you want to rebuild it. You accomplish one side and you learn something. Click. Got this beautiful new pattern of associations that I've made. You want to get to the next level. You have to undo the one side to get to the other. You have to break it down. You have to deconstruct that one side of the Rubik's Cube to be able to make the second side, or at least to prepare to be able to do the rest. And if you do so with intention, you pull it apart, and you figure it out, and it comes back together. Now you've got two sides. You go for a third side, and a fourth side, and a fifth side, and a sixth side. Who wants to put a limit as to how many sides our consciousness can have? I certainly don't. I think it's infinite. And LSD is really the tool that I believe allows you to get there. But it is razor sharp when it cuts. And one of the things that LSD and MDMA both do is that they um, they can induce regressions, or what are called as regressions, where aspects of your of your psyche from deep, deep down below come out. And now they want to have something to say. And it becomes difficult. You have to... It becomes difficult to keep track of what's going on when there's another part of you that wants to say something. So in order to explain this, I want to present a model of, of um, a, different, a different paradigm of thought, a different perception of self. I believe that we are all multi... Um, faceted, complex individuals that we're not just one being. I'm not just Raphael. There's just so many levels, so many textures, so many different possibilities for what we are. The analogy that I'd like to give you first about um, just how this would evolve uh, comes from just the way that we develop physically. You start off with an egg and a sperm and you join them together and that first cell is you or whoever, right? And this cell divides in half, and it divides again, and it divides again. And all those cells are identical. They're absolutely identical. As a matter of fact, they're so identical that if you split them apart, you can create two different people, different in the sense that they will be um, different beings, even though they may look very similar, like identical clones. At some point, though, this set of cells that have divided... um, become different. The reason they become different is because their environment is different. Imagine uh, a raspberry, you know, like just all of this pile of, of cells. Some are on the inside, some are on the outside. The ones that are on the inside are similar in the sense that they are in contact in every side with another cell. And that's the environment that they're in. The ones that are on the outside are different because they're only in contact with the cells on the sides and the ones on the inside. And there starts the first level of differentiation between the cells. These cells grow, divide, fold over, and create three layers. The outer layer, the inner layer, and the middle layer. They are different. From these three levels, every single one of your 100 trillion cells differentiates. And they become specialized in doing specific things. Skin cells, bone cells, blood cells, heart cells, you know, reproductive cells. You get the idea, right? Your skin cells are still always you. They're no less you than your brain cell or your you know, the cartilage in your knee or something like that. But they have a specific job. They are specialized to deal with being on the outside and protecting you. While your liver is designed to do what it does and detoxify you. Right? So far so good? I believe that the 
our our psyche, our mind, separating brain as a physical thing from our mind, develops the same way. It starts off, and it's you, it's your spirit, however, whatever your belief system is to where that comes from. But that the mind has to specialize for doing different things, and it specializes by exactly the same way. It's the stimulus that you receive. So you are born and you receive positive stimulus uh, for language. Someone comes up to you and goes, ma, 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 ma. And the minute you say it, you get a prize. And this gets um, reinforced, positively reinforced. And you get counted, one, two, three. And you develop another part of your mind which specializes in numbers. And you develop another mind that specializes in doing things like getting dressed and going to the bathroom and doing all these things. And you get sat down with a piece of paper and a crayon and maybe the artist in you is stimulated. Or you get you know, a pot with a spoon and maybe that's going to become the musician in you. And what ends up is that as beings we have all these different levels, all these different aspects of who we are. And they're all riding this vessel, this vehicle. And I envision this vessel as a bus. And there's a driver's seat, and then there's that line where you're not supposed to cross the other side, and then there's all the seats behind it. And all the different aspects of who we are, all the hobbies that we have are specialized parts of who we are. I mean, think about, like, if I need to sit down and write something, I have to focus on writing. I need certain things. I need my cup of tea. I need to sit at my computer. I need to get into my writing mode. Um, what's seven times eight? Okay, thank you. I'll ask you. I'll tell you in a second why I asked that question. Okay, um, but there's the scientist in me. There's the teacher in me. There's the cook, the, the the sailor. I mean, all the different things that I like to do. The photographer, the traveler. All these are different aspects of who I am. They all tend to be pretty well integrated, even though it might take a minute to shift from one mode to another. And I believe it's because they're they're empowered to sit at the front of the bus. And they can take the steering wheel of this bus, which is me, this vessel. They can sit at the computer terminal. They have access to my being. But as you go further and further back through the seats, you go further, deeper and deeper into your subconscious, and usually further and further back in time. And at the very, very end of the bus, you may have the most, I don't want to say primitive, but the youngest, it's been around the longest, but the youngest part of who you are. And for me specifically, I'll give you an example. I gave it last year. Um, I had a reactionary behavior. When someone with certain type of energy would come at me, I would really get very angry. I was not really violent, but I would, my reactionary behavior was extremely violent, was extremely angry. And it was on LSD that I realized that my little baby, my inner child, the aspect of who I was from a long time ago that was sitting in the back seat, had been hurt and had been hurt by my father. I had been screamed at and shaken as a baby. And I still have neck problems for it. And that whenever someone with a similar energy would come to me, that baby would get up, run to the front of the bus, karate kick the rational and loving me out of the way, grab the steering wheel, hit the gas, and run you over using whatever means it was. And it wasn't physical, it was intellectual, because I've got a very sharp and dangerous mind, if used the wrong way. And LSD took me to that place where I could find that part of me. And in doing so, bring that baby out and say, Guess what? We're not this big anymore. We're this big anymore. These are the muscles that we have. These are the tools that we have. Somebody yelling at us won't hurt us. But when you're a newborn baby and someone picks you up and screams at you and says, Shut up! Shakes you, you're going to die, right? I mean, I think that's what I thought at the moment. And there's this disconnect that happens. And there's this 
apart this negative, well, this negatively induced aspect that comes from the negative experiences that we have, especially if they're reproduced, especially if there's a pattern of abuse or a pattern of damage. So within this bus, we have all of the different aspects of who we are, and some of them are very empowered and powerful, and others are very scared and unhappy. And both MDMA and LSD are very powerful for accessing that and getting into that space. And and going back to what I was saying before, you do it by just deconstructing things, going back and reevaluating, letting that baby reevaluate, well, what's going on now? Let's pull everything apart, relook at it, and see what how we can put it back together with our new dictionary that we devised that I was talking about earlier and all the tools that we have. Does anybody want to add anything else to LSD? Having never tried LSD, I'm curious if there is a lack of a spiritual feeling to it, if it's more of a, for lack of a better word, a chemical or a very geometric tool that doesn't really have kind of that omniscience behind it. Thank you so much for asking that question because I'd completely forgotten a very important, a very important thing. The first time I was given LSD, I was given LSD by someone who had taken it for 20 or 30 years, had done thousands of trips, and who, and I was, hey, I didn't start anything until I was 30, and I was finishing up my degree in molecular biology and biochemistry, and I was just saying, no, that shit fucks you up. It all, it's all bad, and I had my first um, psychedelic experience at 30. Um, which I'm grateful for. And, and anybody who's had it earlier, I mean, I'm sure you had it when you were supposed to have it, but I needed to have it when I had it with the disciplined mind and the scientific thought process that I had so that I could be up here having this conversation and getting great pleasure out of it. And hopefully hopefully you're getting something out of it as well. What convinced me to try it was this person, a scientist, um, a Renaissance man, really, says to me, think of your brain as the most powerful and sophisticated computer in the universe that we can think of that there is, that we found. This is the software to make it do anything that's possible. There are no limits as to what you can do on LSD. And this was my introduction to LSD. And my introduction to LSD was guided by someone who knew exactly what they were doing and took me to a place where my... It wasn't... I wasn't just at a... I wasn't at a party. I was specifically in a place where I had to... I ordered a, a delicious meal and ate it, paid for it, walked out, saw nature, saw the most beautiful sunset. I was in La Jolla. Imagine just tripping in La Jolla for the first time. Those who've been in La Jolla, okay? And going into art galleries and eating ice cream and looking at children and watching people and seeing these masks on people that are like, what are they doing, you know? And then seeing these older couples that were so beautiful because they were just so honest to each other. And children, children were just so pure. But people, you know, this posturing. and It was such an experience. And seeing, looking at art and understanding art for the first time and listening to music. And it was, there are no limits. There are no limits. And within that, within all of these aspects that you can find, there are your spiritual aspects. And you can use LSD to find your spiritual aspects. And I know many people who have personally, including myself, have had to figure out what my divine nature is. And for that... It's necessary to break out of the constraints. You have to really just deconstruct yourself spiritually and just allow it to emerge naturally. And it will. And your, 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 your inner God and goddess and connection with Gaia and 
all of your power animals and all of your totems and everything. It, it just all comes out because you have access to the, the incredible universe that you are. This is the way in. But it needs to be done with intention. It needs to be done with focus. And more importantly, with awareness that it's possible. So yes, absolutely. There is a deep and powerful spiritual side to this. And, and um, it's a blessing. I think it's a blessing that this, this medicine, this gift is available for, for us, even though it's so difficult to obtain. Okay, DMT. In my opinion, DMT is the most misunderstood of the medicines of them all. It's just my opinion. Take it for whatever it's worth, right? Um, first time I was offered DMT, and it was many times, it was at a party out in the desert, and I looked at the people who had taken it, and they looked like shit. Oh, it's an amazing experience, and you'll talk to these little elves, and all these things will happen. And I was looking at them, and they just looked like they were dead. And I thought, I'm never, I'm not, I have no interest in having an experience that will make me look like that. I don't care how good it is. If it makes me look like that, I'm not interested. I want to look, I want light coming out of my eyes, you know. I want smiles. I, I want to, like, electrify people when I touch them. I, I'm not interested in, like... To talk to, like, imaginary elves? Fuck that. And I said no for many, many, many years. And I'm very glad that I did. And it was in Palenque that I was able to, in a, in a very special and magical setting, was approached by someone who was a shaman, who I believe really knew how to do his, his thing. And it was an incredibly powerful, transformative experience for me. And it was the start of a series of tremendous breakthroughs. I didn't see any elves. I just smashed through my deepest fears and went all the way in. Now, in experimenting with it, which is a very rare thing, I think it's extremely powerful medicine that needs a tremendous amount of respect. That's just regular DMT. Um, I found that I would actually find these interesting little mechanical elf type of creatures. And I thought about, well, what is that? What is that? What could that be? And I wasn't really sure. And then I had the really powerful experience of taking ayahuasca. And ayahuasca is a brew that, I don't know if it's known exactly how old it is. It may be 4,000, 5,000 years old. originated in the Amazon jungle in Peru and Brazil. And it is a mixture of DMT with... Um, an MAO inhibitor, harmine, harmaline. And what it does is it makes it orally active. You can't take DMT and digest it. Um, so you take this l significantly large amount of DMT and it goes into your system and it takes a while for it to come on and it lasts four, five, six, seven hours. And you have a very, very intense experience. And the place that I was taken to was, remember how I was talking about before how you have this essence of spirit that comes into your body and then from there you have all these differentiations that happen right there and in that place in that spot the possibility of creating a new aspect a new driver for this bus one that I can not just have new definitions but have a new wiring for well that complements these new definitions see you, you work on yourself and you take a medicine and you learn something. 
and you break out of a pattern because that's usually a, you have a pattern behavior you want to break out of. Medicines are excellent for that. They're all excellent for that. You break out of that pattern. What prevents you from going back into it? And we gave a workshop earlier called Psychonavigating Heaven and Hell. Some of you were here. There's a series of things that you can do to actually recognize, like to have the best experience. But ideally, you want to find a way to anchor what you've learned, rewire it, re-imprint yourself. And there's a series of techniques for doing that. And create another pathway. But the old pathway is there. And old habits die hard. And it's very easy to fall back into the old pathway. Well, guess what? You can create a new aspect, a new driver for the bus that doesn't have to have the old pathways imprinted. You create a new one. And I, I believe that this is where the whole death, re, you know, death rebirth experience comes from, except that I don't really like the whole death component of it. I think it's completely unnecessary. As a matter of fact, I think it's quite... I don't want to know if damaging is the right word, but I think it's, it's not the right approach because if you can accept that all the different aspects of who you are are in your subconscious and they're sitting in that seat. Guess who I want to be real close by? The old me. Because the old me has all this wisdom and all this information. And it doesn't necessarily need to drive the bus, but every once in a while it's important that that part of me take over. And yeah, the old part of me is jealous and this and that and cranky and maybe a bit of an asshole. But there's some good skills there. I mean, it's specialized in doing certain types of things. And I want all the resources that are available to me, and I want to be as multidimensional as possible. I want to be specialized in doing everything. And if something new comes up, I want to learn how to deal with that as well. What I specifically like is to have a general operating system, a general sense of me that is designed, well, by me. You can redesign yourself with, the, with ayahuasca. And I know more than one person who has done it. And on their own, and they came to me and said, I had this experience, and it was just so validating. And let me emphasize how important it is to talk about your experiences because you have an experience, and you don't know if it's the craziest thing on the planet. Yes, I went back to the essence of who I am, and I re was reborn. How'd you do that? Well, you know, I took some ayahuasca or smoked some DMT. Okay. What if you talk to someone else and they say, you know what, I had the same experience? Go, wow, that's really interesting. It's so important to communicate these things. So... That's where I believe that the true power of ayahuasca is. So I recognized, okay, so what are all these little L's? So here's my interpretation of it. Smoke a little DMT, go into that space. And what I was going into was going, going back to the infant that I was when I was a crib, in the crib. And I think what I'm really seeing is the mobiles that were in front of me. And these creatures that would come up and go, and you know, my, the nervous system isn't fully formed, so you just see shapes, colors, textures, shades, shapes, geometric shapes. Are, are you know, there's, there's a certain geometric architecture to the way that we are, the way that we think. And that's why we've you know discovered geometry. It's just based on the the way that we're physically done, and that's what I believe. That, that's what I believe it is. And within there is, of course, the imprinting of all the experiences that you have and all the people that come into your life because you not only, I believe, do you have the aspects of who you are, but you have the aspects of the people that have touched you in good ways and in bad ways. And these medicines can be used to escort out the energy of negative people that have come into your life that need to be kicked out. 
and to invite in the energy of the people that you really admire, that really brings something positive to your life. And this is, I think, another essential part of, of, um, of really having a healthy, beautiful, blissful experience is getting to know yourself well enough, well enough that you can actually find a part of yourself and question, is this a part of me or is this not a part of me? Do I want this to be within me? And I personally had an experience where I recognized there was a part of me that was horribly misogynist and just unpleasant in, in ways that I can talk about personally with you if you're interested later, but that I realized it wasn't a part of me. And here is where I had the closest thing to what I would consider a death, a death rebirth experience, which was I had gotten around and gotten to know each and every one of the aspects of who I am, and then suddenly there was a part of me that said, no, no, this is the way we are. You're wrong. You can't deal, you know, deal with it. This is who we are, and this is how this is the energy that we're going to have. And I just couldn't couldn't deal with it. So I asked every part of myself, "Is this me? Is this me? Is this me?" And my body said, "I wasn't born with this energy. This bit of programming wasn't born. This is a virus, and I would rather die than keep this inside of me." And I had one convulsion and shook it out. And what I shook out was the energy of a series of people in my life that, starting with my father and my stepmother and all sorts of stuff, that was just a really negative experience. And what I believe I did is I expelled a virus, a metaphysical virus. That was a programming code for a certain type of behavior that I believed, that it believed, that it just got brought in. And I think it's really important to know know that this is possible and that this type of work is done shamanically at many levels. I'm just explaining it from the only way that I can, which is just my my background. But that's the experience that I had. And I believe that you can do this for yourself if it's necessary. Maybe you don't have it. Hopefully you don't. Most Probably most of you don't. But maybe you do. Maybe part of the why the way that you are is something that was imprinted on you that needs to be kicked out. And these medicines can be used to find that out, discover if it is, and kick it the fuck out because I don't want that energy within me. Because you're not born to be greedy. You're not born to be all these things unless it's necessary. And even if this was taught to you, you can relearn it. There isn't anything that you can't relearn. There isn't anything that you can't do. It's the software. This, all of these medicines, they are the different programming. They're the virus cleaners. They're the you know, system analyzers and checkers. It's the way of like rebooting yourself. Oh, one more thing, very importantly. DMT, clearly a connection with, with Gaia. Clearly a powerful connection with Gaia. I believe that when you are talking to the lady, if you've witnessed the lady, if you've been in that space, that you are talking to Gaia and that as a part of Gaia. You can't leave Gaia, right? I mean, unless you're an astronaut, I guess. But, and I would argue that Gaia extends out throughout the universe. Um, that, um, that you're really talking to a, a higher wisdom, which is the higher wisdom of you know five billion years of consciousness, beginning consciousness and awareness, beginning awareness and growing, creating this beautiful world that we live in. 5-MeO-DMT. Very, very limited exposure to it. It scares the hell out of me, um, which is probably a good thing. First time I took it, I felt like I had gone too far. That was just it. 
I felt like, okay, you did it this time. That's it. Because everything just went into white noise. And it was painful, but it wasn't painful. It was loud, but it wasn't loud. 5-MeO-DMT. And this lasted for a while until basically what the essence came down to, what I really just wanted to say was, I just want to be healed. I just want to be happy. And as soon as I uttered that to myself, I broke through. And it was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. And it became very pleasurable at that moment. It was described to me as the reset switch. You press the button, you shut down, you reset, and you start over again. That's a scary thing. A very, very scary thing. Especially because I have a tendency to have a hard time breathing. So, well, not generally, but I've, I've had sleep apnea and I've had it since I was a child. So the sense of suddenly not being able to breathe and not knowing how much time has gone by and did I just hold my breath for five seconds or was it five minutes, am I going to come back? Very, very, very powerful. But clearly a useful experience for me. Um, when I asked, well, do you have to go through this every time? The shaman said, probably. But at least now you know that you went through it. So it's a little less painful. Right? Um, that's all I want to say about it. I don't really know any more about it, except that it is powerfully transformative in that sense. You were not alone that someone watched you. Oh, absolutely. And please do not, do not. No, I didn't. I just curled up into a little ball. If he does this again, I'm going to show him this picture because he looks like he was dead. And I waited. And, you know, you're talking about you didn't know if you were going to breathe. I didn't know if he was going to keep breathing. And so I picked up the phone. And so that was be careful with the dosage. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And that's in all cases. And we can talk about dosages. I'll just go run through what some are typical dosages of all these substances later. Absolutely critical. I believe that any DMT experience be done with a shaman. And the, the, for me, the definition of a shaman is someone who is familiar with both spaces and is capable of retrieving you and bringing you back, taking you there, letting you free, bringing you back. That is a shaman's, a shaman's job. And to just have someone pass a pipe to you and just say, hey, this is really great stuff, just try it. I don't think that's necessarily the wisest way to do it. And the same goes for ayahuasca. There are a lot of uh, chicken shamans, they're called. People who say they're shamans, who rattle a bell and sing a little song and do something and don't know how to work with the energy. And I've personally met people who were left stuck half in, half out. And this is usually what happens when someone just is like out of their mind, like just lost. Energetically, from a shamanic point of view, they are still out, and they need to be drawn back in. And it's very difficult for them to come back on their own, and generally a a very good shaman will know how to retrieve you and bring you back. But that's not the kind of experience you want to have. You don't want to get to the point where you need someone to go out and retrieve your soul and bring it back. Uh, It is a possible thing, though. Um, I believe it's a possible thing. Okay, so there's a few more more things. There are analogs that that are widely available. Some can be legally purchased. Um, I want to go over them. There's a whole list of stuff. Um, and then at some point I realize you're probably going to get tired of listening to me all this time. But um, there's the, the 2C series. There's 2CI, 2CB, 2CT2, and 2CT7, which I want to I talk about a little bit. 
2CI. I find 2CI to be a really beautiful, powerful medicine. It, um, if there's something you need to work on, especially emotionally, it'll help you get there. But more than anything, I think it's really good at getting, getting in touch with, um, with your body. It, if, if you listen to what's being said, it's generally, I believe, it's your body that's talking to you. It's your body that's saying, hey, this is what we need to do to be healthier. This is what we need to do to be stronger. This is how we connect with, with, with Gaia, with the earth, from a, like, the physical part of you that's actually connected to the earth. Um, and it is, um, it is possible, a lot of these medicines can be mixed together. So some people take 2CB and 2CI with a little bit of MDMA. Um, I definitely want to caution anybody against taking more than one medicine at a time because they potentiate themselves. They're, they're a lot stronger. Um, people who would, for example, normally take 100 milligrams of MDMA or maybe 10 or 15 or 20 milligrams of 2CI or 2CB, you could probably take half, and that would be might even be too much. You know, so um, but both of them, 2CI and 2CB, tend to be really body sensitive. Feel very, very good, but there's if there's a message that needs to be told, it's going to come directly from your body. Um, that's about as much as I can say about it. There, a lot of these analogs haven't really been studied and haven't been researched. Not that many people have done them. You have to be very, very careful. You have to be careful that you know what you're getting. And most importantly, a lot of times these things are. Two milligrams, three milligrams, five milligrams. How many of you know how much that is? How many of you are capable of weighing that much? How many of you have a scale that could actually measure three milligrams accurately? If you paid less than $1,500 or $2,000, you don't have a scale that can actually measure less than you know, 10 milligrams accurately. So um, you have to be very careful with these things. A lot of these medicines, as was said, are dosage dependent. If you take 10% more, it can throw you for a loop. Very, very important. Um, if anybody wants to say anything about 2CI or 2CB. I want to talk specifically about 2CT7. 2CT7 um, was available until people started taking it and dying. And I want to talk about a little bit about why I believe they were dying from it. There have been three deaths, I think. Two or three deaths on two. Two or three, two deaths on 2CT7. Um First time I took 2CT7 was in Palenque. There was a bunch of us that were there in the Mayan ruins, and it was really a very interesting experience. I think of it as a, as a translucent, almost like a, a translucent psychedelic is the way I would describe it. It doesn't really do a lot. I mean, it, it can take you to different places, but you definitely get a lot of visuals, and you are in a, in a deep psychedelic space, and... What I find that happens is that your senses become very focused. For example, um, you bite into a peach, you turn into a peach. It's amazing. Uh, you get lost in the music. The music sounds different. Um, or you see colors, and they're just so incredibly vibrant, you get lost in the colors. But you can't do both at the same time. If you're listening to music and you bite into a peach, either you hear the music or you taste the peach, but you can't do both, which I think is really interesting. And you get the visuals of a very large amount of LSD. The thing with 2CT7 is that because it doesn't feel that interesting on its own is that people mix it, and they mix it with other things. And that's where it becomes extremely powerful 
and extremely, and it can actually be deadly. 267 combined with MDMA creates a state of, well, you know those memories or images or hallucinations or trips that you can go on? Now you're there, it's three-dimensional, it's tactile. You are there, you're reliving it. I've been in the presence of more than one experience where people were being incredibly overwhelmed by, by the experience that they were, that they were having um, to the point of um, they could have died. Or there was a chance that they could have died. They could have just given up because it was too overwhelming if, um, if someone hadn't been there, if I hadn't been there to talk to them. And, and, and ground them. And the thing is that um, you see it too. You're there too. You, you're living it. You're experiencing it. And they're having a deeply powerful experience, a powerful memory, for example, that's happening. And it will break you out of the strongest things. Um, ayahuasca, by the way, and, the, and 267 isn't being studied for this because I don't think anyone knows about it, but um, 267 can be used to break out of addictions powerful addictions, but it'll grab you and it'll shake you and rattle you until you give up and you go, okay, I'm not, this is bad for me. And it can take you to the point of exhaustion. Um, ayahuasca, by the way, I forgot to mention this, is used uh, at a center in Peru um, in Tarapoto. There's a Frenchman called Jacques Mabi, he's a doctor, who has set up a center there um, and has what I understand is to be the most successful drug rehab clinic in the world. It used to be bigger, and they lost their funding from the French government when the U.S. pressured against um, drugs. But um, I discovered the center. That's where I had my ayahuasca experience from a friend who went there um, in search of relief from a heroin addiction. And this is the place, this is like the place to go for addictions. And DMT, um, ayahuasca, 2CT7, these are medicines that will take you to the source and rattle the fuck out of you until you release it. And you need to be in the presence of someone who knows how to deal with it. The deaths that occurred on 2CT7 were kids, um, I know specifically one that was, all, that was written up, I think, in Rolling Stone magazine or something like that, um, about this person who not only had a history of having bad trips, he'd been hospitalized for LSD a series of times, but he spent an entire weekend where first he took some ecstasy, then he, I think, uh, he took some ephedra, that's right. He took a bunch of ephedra to stay up. He hadn't eaten, he hadn't rested. And then he took an extremely large do- dose of 2CT7 and he snorted it. And let me talk about snorting for a second. Direct into your blood. When you eat something, it takes a while. It has to go through your digestive system. You break it down. You weaken it. It takes a while before it gets in. When you inject something uh, intramuscularly, it takes a, it's a little bit faster, but it comes in. When you put something directly into your blood, it's instantly there. When you snort something, it's in your brain in about seven seconds, straight in. He took an extremely large dose and was basically having a panic attack and was left alone in a bathroom where for, oh, by the way, 2CT7, the peak, the high lasts about eight hours. So if you're in a beautiful space for eight hours, if you're in a bad space for eight hours and you don't know what you're doing and you're depleted and you haven't eaten and you have a whole cocktail of things in your body, you're asking for trouble. 2CT7 is also extremely sensitive to dehydration. It's also extremely sensitive to heat. If you see someone with 2CT7 on the playa, just tell them to keep it for another time. Don't take it. 
um, it's overwhelmingly powerful, especially when it's hot. Um, so a very dangerous, very powerful medicine, very beautiful, very powerful medicine, but it's very, very dangerous. And very few people are trained to work with it. Very few people have taken it and really given thought about what's going on. A lot of these analogs, that's the problem with these analogs. You can get online, you can buy this stuff. There's a lot of stuff you can buy online. At least with LSD, psilocybin, and MDMA, and DMT, there's a, a history of use. So um, I would caution you to be extremely careful with anything that you, any analogs that you find. And uh, I forgot mescaline. And I have very limited experience with mescaline, but I'd like to share this story because it's one of the most powerful transformative experiences I've ever had. I was given a capsule of um, pure uh, mescaline. And it was about this big, by the way. Those little little micro dots that people call them mescaline, it's not mescaline. Okay. I don't know what that is. But it takes about 400 milligrams of mescaline. And that's this much. And I had it for many, many years. And one day I decided that I needed to go to Joshua Tree and spend, this was about two years ago, spend um, uh, just a week just getting into my body, just being on my own, just being in this beautiful, magical place. If, you any, if, if you've never been to Joshua Tree in Southern California, I highly recommend it. It's just a magnificent place. And I was there for several days, and uh, reading, stretching, meditating, climbing rocks. And then one day I realized, okay, I'm ready for, I brought my medicine with me, you know. And uh, I'm ready for, for this mescaline. So I set my intention of just surrendering to whatever the medicine had to offer for me. And I went to sleep, and I woke up. I set my alarm clock, and I woke up at about 5 in the morning. And I took it, and I went back to sleep. And I slowly started going in. And when the sun was up, I heard a very clear and distinct voice that said, time to get up and go for a walk. Okay? Grab a blanket, some water, lots of sunscreen, and your yoga mat, and we're going to go for a walk. It's like, okay. It's very gentle, you know, it's all compassion and, and pleasurable. And I walked out into a beautiful little clearing and put down the yoga mat, put down the blanket, take off your clothes, put on, um, put on some sunscreen. Don't miss any spot. Start stretching. Start stretching, start getting to my body, start stretching. And I went through, and I spent several hours putting awareness to every single muscle in my body. And basically what I learned that day was that I have to start listening to my body in order to be healthy and not listening to what anyone else has to say about it or even what my mind, my intellect believes is good for my body. Just listen to the body. It was my body talking to me. My body was saying, okay, we need to have a conversation. So this is some of the things that, that I was taught, that I learned, that I'd like to share because I think it's, it's very important. I think that too many of us um, might be suffering from the same lack of communication that I was having at the time. I got awareness of, of my whole body. I stretched. This took eight hours out in the sun. I had water. I was fine, you know. Um, my body said... You know how your neck's always tight and you keep cracking? You know, we're, we're always cracking and we have this pain and we have to go to the chiropractor and it's just a pain in the ass and it's a problem and you keep taking those 
It was aspirin first, and then it was Motrin, and then it was the ibuprofens, and then it was the 800 milligram ibuprofens, and you're taking one of those or three of those a week, and otherwise you're just too tight. Guess what? We don't need any of that shit, and this is how we're going to do it. You're going to start listening to me now. Okay? You know when you pick up the backpack, and it has both things, support straps, and we're going to walk to the car, and you put it over one shoulder. And I say to you instantly, out of balance. And your response is, oh, it's only 15 feet. Oh, it's just for another moment. And I could actually remember having these thoughts. This hurts. It's just right over there. Guess what? You do this all day long. You're constantly pulling your body out of balance, and you're tightening your body in a way that's completely unacceptable. Start paying attention. The minute that something is uncomfortable, like it is right now, (laughs) pay attention to it because... Yeah, adjust yourself. Because if you don't, you're just creating extra tension in that part. And I got it. And I have had a pain-free existence since that day, and I don't ever go back to a chiropractor. And I learned how to massage myself, not with my hands, but by tightening and releasing and stretching the muscles around. And it was the most beautiful journey into my body that I could have ever have had because I learned to listen to what the body needed. And my health has increased dramatically, and I was already a healthy person. But you don't need to take any painkillers for the most part. There are exceptions, you know. I mean, if you break something, you want to reduce the inflammation and the pain. But for the most part, we don't need these things. And the body will tell us so long before, okay. When, When someone has ulcers or someone has cancer or someone has a disease, do you think it just appeared in one day? It was a lifetime of bad habits, a lifetime of not listening to your body, a lifetime of eating the wrong foods and knowing it. And I believe that there's a lot to be said about having proper communication with your body so that you can just have the most pleasurable, healthy, wonderful experience that's possible. Um, That was the one thing that mescaline did for me. The other thing that mescaline did for me was that it said, you know how you go around trying to like heal everybody because one of these days you're going to... I had this crazy idea that I needed to heal eight people. I was going to heal eight people so that they could grab me and heal me. And it's like, you can't heal anybody. People only heal themselves. And if you're so powerful or so good that you can do this, why don't you just focus on yourself? And I just had to laugh. Because one one of the aspects of who we are is an inner healer. And this inner healer wants to feel good. I'd like to describe two different types of inner healers, a very sophisticated inner healer and a very unsophisticated inner healer. I believe that a very sophisticated inner healer is, is, is the part of you that can listen to the body, assess where the damage, and not just emotionally. This is the physical body, the emotional body, the spiritual body, the physical body, the everything, right? Listen to yourself. Feel yourself out. You have all these senses for a reason. Change what needs to be changed so that the pain diminishes, so that the pleasure increases. That's what we have all these nerves for, okay? And try to solve the problem. If you can't solve the problem, seek out with your senses someone who clearly doesn't have that problem and ask them how they do it. How do you have that smile on your face all the time? How is that possible? I don't get it. It's a genuine, loving, amazing smile. How do you do it? Give me one tool. And you ask for tools. And a sophisticated healer is someone who is willing to recognize, do all the work that they can, recognize that they need new tools, ask for tools, take those tools, and work on themselves. Not heal me. How do you do it? These are the tools. Thank you. And I'm going to do it for myself.
That's a sophisticated healer. An unsophisticated healer is one that believes that all the healing needs to come from the outside. But then there's little things that help, like uh, drink helps. A little bit of alcohol really helps take the edge off. So when you have that particular feeling, you have a drink because that's what gets rid of it. That aspirin or that ibuprofen that I was taking to get rid of the pain, I just wanted to feel good. I don't want the pain. I could rationalize a million reasons. Well, it's going to relax my muscles, and I'm going to do it before I go to bed, and when I wake up, I'm going to be in a better space. I was addicted to ibuprofen. It was destroying my liver with ibuprofen. And somewhere in between, all of us in this room are between the part of us that seeks immediate relief from pain to the part of us that actively seeks out how can we get new tools to improve ourselves. And as soon as I discovered this, that was it. It completely changed my focus on working on myself or on working with other people because I think the most important thing, and if I can inspire one thing in all of you today that have been so just gracious to sit here for so long listening to me, is that within you there is an inner healer, and you are the ones that are sitting here right now, and I'm, I'm witnessing you right now. Come out. Empower yourself. Choose your medicines wisely. Alcohol is an important medicine. It can be used. Tobacco is used by shamans in South America for very important things. Find out what that is if, that's, if you're interested in tobacco. Coca leaf is a majorly important medicine. There are coca shamans also. It goes with everything. Every drug can be used as a medicine. Every medicine can be used as a drug. I empower you in any way that I can to be your own healer, to be your own guru, to be your own guide, to be your own source of love and to find other people who are similar and to connect with them synergistically and empower each other to be the most that you can be. No limitations. No limitations. That's all I have to say. This has been a long program, so I'll do my best to keep my closing remarks to a minimum. But one of the things that most struck me about Raphael's descriptions of his experiences on these different medicines is how similar they were to ones I've had on the same substances. And when you think about that for a while, it seems to me that the conclusion is inescapable that this is more than just pre-suggestion or coincidence working here. Keep in mind uh, the interesting fact that DMT is in your pineal gland. So not only are you already in possession of an illegal Schedule One medicine, you must also be pre-wired to use these magical, mystical substances. For example, uh, I think Raphael said you can redesign yourself on ayahuasca. And that's true, but you know it can be true in more than one way. I know of more than one person who has uh, kind of fallen into a dark pit as a result of an unprofessional ayahuasca experience. Yet in my own case, uh, I I give a significant amount of credit for my redesign of myself to the insights I've gained on voyages into that realm. And uh, speaking of 2CT7, Raphael called it translucent. And that's precisely what I felt the first time I used it. In fact, uh, it was on the same day that Raphael described in his talk just now. 
during part of the experience, we were at the Palenque Ruins, and to me, the energy there was just extremely thick. That's the only word I have to describe it. You know, uh, the, the energy there was so actually translucent that it, it looked like the air that day was composed of clear syrup. As Raphael might have mentioned, there were, I think, about 50 of us taking part in a test of 2CT7 that day, and you can actually read a write-up about it in the summer 2000 issue of uh, MAPS's bulletin at maps.org. And uh, it was still online, in fact, the last time I checked. An interesting side note uh, to all of this is the fact that the person who wrote up the experiences of that magical day for MAPS was uh, (laughs) none other than Casey Hardison. If you don't know Casey's story, you should Google him and check it out. The first story that just now came up for me is titled, Drug Chemist Sentenced to 20 Years. It's not a happy story. And I guess I should point out, by the way, that Casey is in jail in the U.K., and his arrest had nothing to do with anything that went on in Palenque. He was just another attendee at a little conference that day. I think the most important thing, though, that we learned was about the possible interactions with other substances, uh, particularly uh, prescription medicines. In fact, uh, there was a a near tragedy that day of our experiment, and... uh, Again, you can learn more about these potentially deadly interactions at uh, Arrowid, E-R-O-W-I-D dot org. And uh, be sure to start every journey at Arrowid. That's uh, probably the best advice you're ever going to get about using these sacred medicines. As Raphael says about 2CT7, it's a very beautiful but very powerful medicine. And uh, (laughs) to be honest, for me, it only worked once. You know, before those uh, ignorant goons in Washington scheduled it, I, I tried it a few more times, and each one was worse than the one before. Maybe I just got everything out of that medicine that it had to give me the first time I used it, because uh, that trip was one of the most memorable of my life. However, it's also important to remember that it, it wasn't just the medicine. The medicine only opens a door into the set and setting you've prepared for it. You know, for me, the set and setting could not have been more perfect that day. I think maybe an aspirin might have worked just as well. Uh, you know, I can't say this enough, but next to safety, you really need to think seriously about your state of mind, your set, and the surroundings you're going to be in during your journey, you know, the setting. And if you get them balanced just right and have a good sitter, well, the doors of perception may open very wide for you, and if you do your job properly, you'll be able to return to our little earth game here with some new tricks up your sleeve. And we can certainly use all the help you can bring back right now. Hey, thanks a lot for listening. From what I'm hearing, I think we are all now beginning to realize that there are a lot more of us out here in cyberdelic space than we had even hoped for. The last time I checked, uh, these podcasts have now been downloaded by fellow saloners in over 40 countries. It's a really powerful feeling of being connected to so many people in so many places who are so in tune with one another. Uh, from your emails, it sounds almost like it's coming from a single mind. And I don't know what this means or where it's leading, but it does feel good to know that I'm not as all alone as it sometimes feels with all these damn sapes running around trying to kill one another. For now, it, uh, it seems best to just keep out of their way. You know, as Terrence McKenna often said, 
keep the old faith and stay high. For now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.